If you have your copy of God's Word, let's open up to the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 3. We're picking up where we left off last week, and uh, as you're finding your place there, uh, this is uh, one of those bittersweet days in the life of our church, and uh, what I mean by that is this is typically the last uh, Sunday before all of our college students like scatter all around the world, and all of our seminary students begin to scatter all around the world, and we we miss them for about three or four months, and then they come back. And so uh, we're excited for all of you guys that are getting to travel this summer and to go, but we're also sad, but we're going to hold your place, and we're going to uh, make sure that uh, you still have a place when you come back here. And I know Jordan, I don't know where she went, but she's running off to back to Nashville to be with mom and dad this summer. We're going to miss you uh, leading us each Sunday. Um, always, always just done really well. Uh, this morning, as we look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're, we're looking at a text of Scripture that is really uh, talking about a young man trying to hear and discern the voice of God and understand what God's calling is for his life. And it poses a really interesting question for us this morning as a church, um, for, for all people, is trying to figure out what it is that God has called you to do, what he wants you to do with the entirety of your life. And so I remember when I got to college, uh, my dad and I went to orientation, and we were registering for classes, and they, it comes time where I didn't know what I wanted to study, and so uh, it comes time where, where I went to do my undergrad, they would say, okay, if you're going to be in the communication school, go with this group, business school, go with this group, art school, go with this group, you know, whatever that was, and I looked at my dad, I was like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. He said, just go to the business school, and, and just go pick one, and, and we'll figure it out as we go, and that, that sort of stuck, and that's what ended up happening, uh, although I changed majors, I think, four or five times with in that school uh, to eventually land uh, with a finance degree. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I didn't know really what I wanted to spend my entire life doing. Uh, I had no idea uh, what that was. And it took me a while to sort of figure out and to discern that vocationally that God was calling me into full-time ministry. Now, I, I know the reality before us today is that not everybody's called to, to vocational ministry, but we're all called to something. And we're all called to do something and to be on purpose and to live with purpose and live with great intentionality. And so what we have here is we have a passage of, of Scripture that begins to talk about a young man discerning the call that God would place on his life. And I think it's informative for us uh, towards the end. We'll talk a little bit more about vocation, but I want you to read with me beginning in verse 1 uh, where the text says this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord, it was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So a couple things are, are happening here. You have Eli, who had been the, the, the priest over Israel, and he had been the sort of the intercessor on behalf of the people before the Lord. And Eli is getting a little bit older in days, and it says in verse 2 that his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see. Now, I think one of the things that's happening here is that we see Eli's literal position and physical condition began to deteriorate, but one of the things that it's helpful for us to understand is that Eli's physical condition uh, is an indicator of the spiritual condition of the people of Israel. They could not see, and their hearts were not for the things of God. And it says also that at the end of verse 1, notice where it says this, and the word of the Lord was rare in, their de in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now, organizationally, within many churches and even businesses, we will often quote Proverbs 28 or 29 that just simply says this, where there is no vision, the people do what? 
They perish. They die. They, they fall away. And typically we use that passage to sort of make a point that we need a direction, we need vision, we need some sort of mission to sort of rally around. But in the Hebrew, that word vision, it it literally means something that is significant and it has nothing to do with being able to see down the road or to have a mission or a literal vision. What it literally means is it says, when there is no word from the Lord, the people perish. When there is no word, And when the people don't discern the word or or yield their hearts and their lives and their minds underneath the authority of the word, the people perish. And here in this moment, the Lord tells us that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no vision. In other words, God was not speaking to his people in, in ways that he normally did. And so Eli gets older and he could not lie down in his own place. But then notice in verse 3, he says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. When I read that this week, I was struck by this idea of the context of the, of the state of Israel, the state of Eli, the state of his sons being very far from God, not knowing God, but yet being extremely religious. And all of the people of God had forsaken God in every which way. And culture had deteriorated. There was no hope uh, in the midst of, of chaos. There was calamity all around them. The culture had begun to deteriorate. And then notice what it says, but the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And the reason why the author does that in in the book of Samuel and the reason why we read it today is because it has an implication for us today. That there are some of you here today that that maybe you feel like you've been abandoned. Perhaps you feel like you've been forgotten or perhaps you've been been looked past or or perhaps you feel like you've been ignored and, 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 and everybody sees you but nobody is really involved with you and you just sort of feel like an outlier living in the margins and feel like all of, all of the people that you once held dear or, or maybe you never really had someone that, that cared for you and, 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 and took care of you in that way. And, and listen, I think this text applies to us this morning. The lamp of God has not yet gone out. It's a reminder for you and me that God has not forsaken us, that God does not turn his back on his children, that God does not look past us. Is he not, he's not indifferent towards our struggles, our anxieties, our, our worries, our fears, our doubts. The lamp of God has not yet gone out. But notice where it says Samuel was lying down in the temple, and he was lying where the ark of the covenant was, where the ark of God was. Now this ark is represented uh, simply as a reminder of the covenant of God and the covenant relationship that God has with his people. And it's meant to remind them of the, of the covenant obligations that God has said, I will make to you and, and you make to me and that we walk through life and, and, and we're not separated at any given time. And on the, on the box of the ark of the covenant was inscribed these words, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. And here little Samuel sits in the temple next to this Ark of the Covenant with these words uh, subscribed on there and, and written on there. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of sin, out of slavery, out of bondage. Then pick up with me in verse four. It goes on and he says, and the Lord called Samuel and he said to him, here I am. And he runs to Eli and he says, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down and the Lord called again, Samuel. 
And Samuel arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So he just hears this voice thinking it's Eli. And Eli's like, I'm not talking to you. Something else is going on. And the Lord calls Samuel again in verse eight, again the third time and he rose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli finally perceives that the Lord was calling the boy. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you again, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and he stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a new thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And so Samuel enters into this relationship Initially, not being able to, to discern God's voice, but Samuel's off the hook just a little bit, right? Because Eli, the main priest, the guy who's supposed to be speaking to God, is supposed to be able to identify it. He doesn't hear it either, and he doesn't understand it. And so one of the things that Samuel does is he goes to Eli, and, and Eli sends him back, and then they enter into this interchange where up to four times he goes back and forth, and then finally Eli gives some instructions. He says, listen, the next time you hear it, say, here I am, Lord. I'm listening. Your servant is here. And what essentially Samuel was doing in that moment is, is he was acknowledging the, the presence of God in his life and the authority of the word that was spoken to him audibly in this moment. And he's saying, here I am. What is it that you want me to, to do? I, I'll say yes to whatever it is that, that you would call me to do. Now, a couple of things are interesting about this. In this moment, you have this young man running to an older man for, for wisdom and, and for insight. You have this young man who wants to hear and, and to see, and he understands that there's some inexperience in his life that he can't fully discern, so he's going to someone older and more mature and further, further along in their, in their walk with Jesus, and he's asking them to, to help him and to discern him. And so one of the things that we glean from that, my friends, is that as a church, we understand that we are not the sole interpreter of the text. That the Bible was meant to be, to be read and studied in the context of community. The Bible was meant to be read and studied and discerned in the context of a circle. Why? Because so often what we end up doing is we end up trying to apply a text and understand a text. And, and if we don't have other brothers and sisters alongside of us and near us at times, this is where we eventually end up sort of taking a step to the right or a step, step to the left. And, and we don't fully understand and, and process what it is that we're reading and, and seeing and trying to perceive. And so we read in the context of our circles. But we read in the context of those circles to come alongside one another, old and young, mature and, and immature, male and female, and we study and we learn and we come before God's word in humility. But here's the other thing that I want you to see. When Eli sends Samuel away for the last time and he gives him the instructions and he says, if he speaks to you again, respond and say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. What was characteristic of Samuel's posture at this moment, what was characteristic of his, of his rhythm at this moment, is there was an expectation that God was going to speak again. And there was an anticipation in that. As he waited... God, he knew God was going to speak again. And so he has a response this time as Eli helps him to understand. Listen, when we read and when we come before God's word, friends, there ought to be an expectation. 
That the same God who was speaking to Samuel all these years ago was the same God who spoke to you when you were living in the 1950s or the 80s or when you got saved at, at preteen camp or student camp. That same God is still speaking today, now, and in the same ways. But there must be a level of expectation. My wife and I, a year ago, you know you're getting older in a couple of ways. One, your hair starts to fall out, your beard starts to turn gray, but then you start to learn to like things that old people like. And so I found myself as a, as a 38-year-old pastor learning to like things that I never really thought that I would like. Like one of the things that Haley and I are learning to do when we go walking, uh, we, we try to identify trees. Like what kind of tree is that? What kind of, what kind of bush is that? And then we'll look it up on our phone. And now we've gotten to where we see birds and we're like, oh, look at this bird. What kind of bird is this? Look at that robin or that cardinal. And like we're infatuated with this stuff. And there was a moment a couple of weeks ago where I was like, what is wrong with us? Like, we're bird watching now and we're like into planting flowers and, and different things. And so we planted these uh, roses on the front of our house about a year ago. And, uh, and I, I think I, told, I shared this story that when the when Snowbageddon came, I thought all my rose bushes are going to die. Like I'm going to have to replant all these things again. Well, they survived and, and like they have come back bigger than, than ever. And before they bloomed, we would go walk. And as we would come back up to the house, we would uh, sort of our ritual was we would get out the, in, the, in the flower bed and like just look at our rose bushes. And we were like counting the, the blooms of how many flowers we, we thought we were going to have. And, and then all of a sudden, like one day, they just all opened up. And it was like heaven on earth for us. And I remember looking at her again going, we are so old. <laughs> like I never thought I would appreciate this kind of stuff. But like it's, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Like looking at it, there's this level of expectation that exists in that, in that moment as those flowers come to bloom because we knew they were going to bloom. We saw it approaching and there was this anticipation and there was this expectation that we were going to get to see what it is that we wanted to see. And see, the Word of God is so much like this that there needs to be and there must be a level of anticipation and a level of excitement as God begins to speak because God is clearly revealing Himself in His Scriptures. A couple weeks ago, it got hot and then it got cold. You remember this? And all of a sudden, we were experiencing this really abnormal weather in Texas. Like, we thought we were through the clear, and then it got cold again. And uh, uh, on the evening that it was going to drop below, this is about two weeks ago, it was going to get below about 40 degrees. And so, uh, since I'm becoming a plant guy now, uh, my wife and I have these four ferns uh, next to the rose bushes that we take care of. Now, one of the things that you learn about ferns as you get older and, like, into this kind of stuff, that if it gets below 40 degrees outside, you need to bring your ferns inside because they will die. So when it's cold, bring your ferns in. So I was uh, uh, going to get, I think, Reese. She was somewhere up in Arlington uh, doing some stuff for school. And so I was on dad duty that night. It was about 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock. And uh, I got Reese. We were driving home somewhere by Cowboy Stadium. And I remember texting Haley. And I said, hey, you need to pull the ferns in uh, because it's going to freeze tonight and the ferns are going to die. And I'm going to have to buy new ferns. And so pull the ferns in. So she does what any good-fearing, uh, God-fearing woman does. She looks at her 15-year-old son and says, go out there and get those ferns and bring them inside the house. It's what I would have done if I was there. Like, Connor, go get them, okay? So she goes in, she, she gets the ferns, and Connor's carrying the ferns in, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this robin emerges from the fern inside the house, and he's panicked, and he's flying around, and he's squawking, and then all of a sudden, I get this call back from Haley, and it was just pure, utter chaos in the house because dad was nowhere to be found. Haley was screaming in her high-pitched screaming voice. The kids are, are over there. I think Connor was screaming in a high-pitched voice too. I can't remember. 
And it was just chaos as they were trying to capture this bird. And I have a two-story house and this bird's flying over. I said, listen, go, go to the pool, get the pool net, make the pole go long, and let's try to swoop it in and catch it. And I'm, I'm trying to coach her on the phone as they're trying to get this bird, which is not the first time a bird has gotten loose in my house. Well, eventually, they, the bird goes upstairs and it ends up in Connor's bathroom and they were able to get the bird and able to get it out of the house. But see, uh, my, my wife, uh, she didn't want to harm the bird but she didn't speak the language of the bird and it wasn't clear. And so the louder she got and the more animated she got, the more the bird just got freaked out and flew further away. And he got panicked, they got panicked, and it was just utter chaos in the home for those 15 or 20 minutes that existed. Why? Because she could not speak clearly to the bird and be like, hey bird, like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna help you. Hey bird, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna hurt you. The bird didn't understand because there wasn't a, a clear cut communication strategy. There was no plan in place. It was just capture the bird without trying to kill it or without ultimately killing it and then set it free outside. But she needed to be able to speak the language of the bird, which we don't speak. And I think sometimes the word of God can often be like that in the life of the Christian is that we, we are seeking to understand certain things in here and we don't fully understand and we don't fully grasp uh, what, it, what it means. And so when we read it, it is best to be read in the context of community and it is intended to be read in the context of community alongside one another so that we can, through the Holy Spirit, uh, be able to understand and to be able to discern those things that God is speaking about. But I wanna say this about this interaction with the Lord and, and Samuel. It is only possible to know God when God chooses to make himself known to you. Samuel had nothing to do with this interaction between him and God, yet God in his sovereignty begins to speak and begins to reveal himself to Samuel. And so when we get to places where we begin to understand things about the Lord, it's not because you figured them out but rather it's because we are in a posture receiving as God reveals himself to us sovereignly and supernaturally and by the power of the Holy Spirit, anything that we know and any testament of our faith in Christ is because God has given us those things and he has granted us those things to be able to understand. And in this moment, Samuel begins to understand as God begins to make known. Keep reading with me in verse 12. He says, and on that day, he says, I'm going to fulfill against Eli all that I have commanded concerning the house from beginning to end. I will declare to him that I'm about to punish or judge his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. We talked about this last week. He had sort of settled into this pattern of, of passivity, of, of just being apathetic towards the sins of his son. Therefore, verse 14, I will swear to the house of Eli that Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering forever. Verse 15 says, Samuel, he lays there, then he opens the door to the house of the Lord, and he was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Don't hide from me. May God, may God do so to you and more if you hide anything from me. So Samuel, verse 18, tells him everything, he hides nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good. And then pay attention to verses 19, 20, 21. It says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as the prophet of the Lord because the Lord established him. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Shiloh by the word of the Lord. 
So notice what's happening in this moment. God is speaking the words of himself to Samuel. He is revealing himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. This is the way in which we can know God today as we seek to understand him as through his revealed word. And as we submit our lives to this in understanding this and seeking to know God. If we want to know God, we must know his word. And so the Lord begins to speak to Samuel, but I want to draw attention just one more time to the priest Eli for just a moment before he begins to fade out into the shadows and remind us that Eli's testimony in this moment as the Lord establishes Samuel as the prophet from Dan to Beersheba, everyone knew that it was now Samuel's turn and reign. And what we gather and glean from Eli is this one simple profound truth that it is possible to keep up religious practices without ever knowing who God is. It is possible to be a PhD in systematic theology or biblical theology. It is possible to hold a doctoral degree in Hebrew and Greek, to be a, a, a linguist, to be a, a homiletician, uh, to understand all of the, of the deep mysteries about God and how God is described in the text, to understand all of his attributes. I can know every single one of those things. I can sing in praise bands, serve as deacons, be a pastor, be religious in every which way, and still not know God. And Eli is, is meant to be there as a reminder to us to not gravitate towards the, the ritual aspect of, of religion and get lost in, in that in and of itself. But what we learn from Samuel is this idea that as we read Scripture and we understand that the Word of the Lord, that it's the very thing that gives our lives shape and it's what gives us meaning as we seek to understand it. But all the while, what was going on with Samuel was he was trying to discern what his calling was supposed to be by hearing the, the voice of the Lord. And when Eli finally gives him that, that little bit of advice to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Your, your servant is here. Then things begin to sort of fall into motion. And, 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 and Samuel's rhythm and how he lives and being established by the hand of God, he, he begins to understand what his calling ultimately is. And can I say a couple things to us this morning about a calling in, in general? Number one is this. Every single person here has a calling to make disciples of other people. First and foremost, every single person here has a calling and a vocation to make disciples. Not one person is off the hook who claims to be born of the Spirit, walking as brothers and sisters. We have all been commanded by God to make disciples. But number two, as we pursue our calling or our vocation and whatever that is, the call to use our vocation for the glory of God and the blessing of others. So the reality is, is this, God is going to put many of you in some, some very instrumental places within our city and, and within our, our country and maybe within the world. He's got some of you in positions of, of great authority, whether you're practicing attorneys or, or businessmen, your you're accountants or, or physicians. He's got you as teachers and, and medical professionals and, and, and members in this community. And, and the idea in talking about calling is figuring out a way to leverage the gifts that God has given you. Wherever it is that he's put you as you pursue the notion that you are going to make much of God with whatever your vocation is. 
Irregardless of it being in the context of a full-time vocational ministry or, or being the preacher or, or being on staff somewhere at a, at a church, that, that the truth of the gospel this morning, and we see this in Samuel's life as he was called to be this prophet over Israel, but we use our call and our vocation for the glory of God and the blessing of others at all times. And so we frame that in a, in a little bit different way when we ask this question. We, we can ask it this way, what skills has God given me by which I can bless the world? If he's given you a mind for, for business or developing communities, how do, I, how do I leverage those things for the, for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God? What skills has he given me by which I can use those skills and those talents and that time and that treasure to bless other people? But secondly, it's a question of where and how can I do most strategically to advance his kingdom? Knowing that I can only be in, in one place at any one given time, but, but how do I most strategically use the skill set that God has given me to grow his kingdom and, and to develop a heart for his name and to teach others to do that? Whatever it is that you find yourself good at, do it well for the glory of God. But do it somewhere strategic to be on, on mission with him because the gospel is not so much about coming as it is about going. And it's about sending. And so what happens after we conclude this service is that we, we use a statement here that we just say, you're sent. Because we believe that the gospel is not to be confined and limited just to what happens here on Sunday mornings. But the gospel encompasses every aspect and all totality of all of our lives. And so that means if, if you're a son or a daughter living at home, it's, it's how do I, do I leverage the gospel in, in my home with my, my parents? How do I honor them? It'd be the workplace. And how do I honor my boss and show respect and honor? honor to my peers? How do I act differently and treat others differently because I've been called and given a purpose in God? And, and so how do I leverage what I have to do to make money, understanding that my first calling and priority is that I would make disciples of every tribe, nation, and tongue, and in all the circles that I find myself in, that this is what I give my blood, my sweat, and my tears to. And so this morning, my, my challenge to us as a church, as we conclude, is just simply this. I think some of us can get lost in getting a paycheck and earning a paycheck. And we forget that God has equipped us and he has called us and, and he has placed us in certain locations and, and he wants us to make much of, of him. Not just to, to provide for our families, which are good and noble things and, and great things, and we're grateful for those, but, but how do I leverage my, my time in the workplace, and how do I leverage all my, my talents and, and, and my treasure, whatever it is that God has given me, and how do I leverage those things for the sake of His name? How are we doing on that this morning, friends? What is it that we need to shift, and where is it that we need to adjust our, our thinking and our processes and where is it that we need to submit to what the Word of God is doing in our life as He calls us to be faithful in the midst of a very unfaithful world? Pray with me. Father, we ask that uh, in Christ you would help us, like Samuel, that you would help us discern when you're speaking 
that you would help us walk faithfully and, and obediently as, as Samuel did. I, I pray, God, that you would uh, just call out men and women in, in this room today to go be faithful on, on mission with whatever it is that you've, you've called them to do. Whatever their degree is, wherever you've, you've placed them, God, I pray that we would pursue those things right where you have planted us. And so, Father in heaven, I ask that in your kindness and, and in your goodness that you would help us accomplish that. And Father, we want to make much of you during this remainder time that we have. And Father, I ask that you would help us sing in a way that reflects the joy in our heart and the passion in our heart as you awaken us and bring revival to your church. Father, would you have your way in these next few moments? We pray these things in Christ's name. God's people said.